These are the tribulations of Paulette. It's been a few weeks since my high school reunion, and I feel depressed that Christmas is almost here. My husband Dave doesn't have a job, and it's the wrong time of year for me to start looking for one. We've had to take a giant step back on the Monopoly Board of Life to Tennessee Avenue. I hope that the holiday season spending for a family of five doesn't land us on Baltic. This morning, I find my husband Dave sitting at the dining room table. His face is white. You're not going to like hearing this, but we may have to sell this house, he says. Is it that bad, I ask? Dave doesn't answer. Well, I know who can help us. I'm going to call Dolly. She may be new at selling real estate, but at least she'll have our best interest at heart. I text Dolly and she answers drive-by immediately. Her ancient white stallion of a car gallops up my driveway and stops with a jerk. Her Neiman Marcus salesperson-style French manicured hand hands me a Pete's through the window. Thanks, I say. What's up? Big news, she says. Bunyan came back to my house and broke into his former apartment above the garage. I had to get a restraining order. Yikes, what did he take? Gold chains, watches, and airplane nips. He used the Vespa as a getaway car, and the Brookline police nabbed him in the Wegmans parking lot. He wasn't hard to spot. He had 19 cashmere sweaters wrapped around his neck and a Bose wave strapped to his back. Now I have to go back to court because he's countersuing me, saying that I ruined his leg in that accident and that I'm obligated to pay him royalties on the movie he was going to write and direct about Jason and me. Call him a drunk, a loser, dump him and kick him out on the street, but never ever come between a man like Bunyan and a burgeoning screenwriting career. On to you, Dolly says. Any post-reunion complications? Ted texted me that we had to low-key it for a while, which is just fine with me because I started to notice that he's a lot like Dave, only less familiar. That could be the attraction, Dolly admits. I read something recently in the Times that the biggest turn-on for women is when a strange man wants you, even if he's a rapist. Why can't that happen to me, I ask. Count your blessings, Dolly says. Now, what else have you got for me? I'm late to meet Owen. Brace yourself for this, I say. We may have to sell our house. I thought we'd be able to hang in there until Dave got another job, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. Do some homework for us with some good comps, and you might end up with a nice listing. You got it, Dolly says, as she hands me her lipstick-stained coffee cup. She puts the abominable snowman in reverse and guns it out of my driveway. I go back inside to attack some laundry and cry a little bit over our doomsday financial situation. I do have a few consolations, though. Our good health, for one, and also because the reunion has come and gone, I don't have to hold my stomach in anymore. This quandary leaves no room for self-pity. I have to get my ass in gear and find something to do. My English friend Biscuit calls while I'm shouting out underwear stains at the washing machine. I tell her our bad news, and she seems completely nonplussed. Ducks, I know exactly what you need. Can you come over here right now? I guess I can. I drop the laundry, and 20 minutes later, I appear at her front door in Cambridge 02138. Biscuit's early retired hunter husband, Ed, usually sits in a rocking chair on her front porch, no matter what the weather. 
Today, there's no sign of him. In his place is a fluffle of dead rabbits impaled on a big stick. I feel like I just stepped into a Jamie Oliver photo shoot. When Biscuit opens the door, I nod toward the bunnies. Fricassee du lapin, she says. Soon. I step inside, take off my coat, and follow Biscuit into the kitchen. A distinct smell of vinegar emanates from a large pot on the stove. Ed is sitting at the kitchen table reading the Wall Street Journal. He isn't wearing a shirt. He grunts hello and gestures to the pot of tea in front of him. Want some, he says? Um, if that's PG tips, I can anymore, I say. Why the hell not, he asks. Well, it gave me a heart arrhythmia, and now I have to take drugs to control it. Ed roars with laughter. Are you sure your heart problem isn't from the liter of wine you drink every night? Thanks for reminding me, Ed. Well, if you're on drugs now, you won't have the problem anymore. He passes me a white mug filled with liquid so black it could be axle grease. Ed is one of those guys who doesn't take no for an answer, which I suppose is how Biscuit ended up with six kids. Is this tea? I ask, taking a sip. Kombucha, darling, Biscuit says. I made it myself. There's a bit of alcohol in it, and I mixed it with PG tips, so go easy. What's with the boiling vinegar, I ask her, my attention turning toward the stove. Come here and look at this, she says. I look into the steaming pot as Biscuit pours in equal parts of borax, ground sage, and something she says is charcoal, but it's not like anything I've ever seen. As she stirs, it gradually becomes a thick paste, which she scoops out into a bowl set in ice water. Now, over here, she says, and Ed, without looking up from the newspaper, raises an arm. Smell him, Biscuit says. You're kidding me, I say. Do it, she says. He absolutely stinks. He just came back from shooting those rabbits you saw on the porch, and he hasn't had a shower in two days. Look, I'll do it too, she says, and she buries her face in Ed's hairy armpit. Ick, she says. Now you. I flinch. Jesus, it won't kill you, Ed says. I hesitate, move toward Ed, then hesitate again. Biscuit pushes my head into his armpit. He smells like a weak old bologna and onion sub. Now watch this, Biscuit says, as she slathers Ed's underarm with the warm white poultice. Then she picks up a blow dryer and turns it on high. After a few seconds, Ed says, Ow! That's enough. Smell him now, Biscuit says, beaming. I lean in and sniff. Sort of sweet and sour. Agra dolce, if I had to pinpoint it. Not bad. But kind of odd overall, mostly because Ed looks as though someone spread Pillsbury cream cheese frosting under his arm. He puts his shirt on right over the mess. Gonna skin those rabbits, he says, as he heads to his station on the front porch. Wouldn't it just be easier to buy Tom's of Maine or some other stuff at Whole Foods? It's all about the moment, ducks, and deodorant is in, Biscuit says. We should not be buying things that we can make and sell ourselves. But what about all the time it takes to do this, I ask? How will it pay off? Well, you'll see to that, ducks, Biscuit says, because while I make it, you're going to sell it. Honey, I've got a job. Dave is hunched over his computer. He looks up. That fast, he asks? You've only been gone for an hour. Well, it was a productive hour. I'm going to sell Biscuit's homemade deodorant. Hey, do you still have Jonathan Kraft's email from when you coach baseball together? 
If I can get the Patriots to endorse this, we'll be on our way. We might even get to go on Shark Tank. Paula, don't you think the Patriots have to use Gillette products? Hmm, hadn't thought of that. Look, just email him and see if he can get us in the door. That's all I ask. Dave agrees to email Jonathan. I have five extra minutes before I need to start dinner, so it's time for a Facebook check-in. Here's a depressing sign of the times. I have a friend request from the South End Buttery, which I accept. Even though Facebook continues to make a big deal out of a lot of nothing, this makes me feel good because it's comforting to see that I'm not alone in my nothingness and that my hormonally induced low self-worth may be worth more than I thought. A bakery has friended me, which is better than no new friend requests at all. But wait just a minute. I have to start thinking like a marketer again. Facebook would be the perfect place to launch Biscuit's homemade deodorant. I would imagine we would first need a page, and then we would need to get people to like it. Selling it will be another challenge, but as Ted Kennedy said, I'll miss that bridge when I come to it. That being said, I can't hawk a product that doesn't have a name. I suppose we could call it Ed's of Cambridge, but that sounds too much like Tom's of Maine, and it doesn't really tell you what it is. My brain is awash in possibilities. Smell swell. The icing on the pit. How about no B.O.? My phone rings, and it's a FaceTime request from Tony, my Mac guy. Tony is a genius, but like many geniuses, he hasn't figured out some basic stuff that you need to get by in life. So although he's bright, successful, and good-looking, no girl will marry him, yet anyway, leaving him plenty of time to charge 150 bucks an hour to talk to me and all his other middle-aged female clients who don't have a clue about things like repair disc permissions. Dave thinks Tony is a complete waste of money, so I have to be careful about when I schedule him to come by as they nearly come to blows about my computer issues. Hey there, I need to come by and install your airport time capsule. Ah, uh, that's going to be hard, I say. Dave lost his job and now he's home all the time. He'll probably want me to figure out how to do it myself. We're on an austerity plan. Speaking of DIY, how creative are you feeling? My friend Biscuit is making deodorant and I'm going to do her marketing. We need a name for it. How about Biscuit's Pit Paste, he says without flinching. Sounds kind of old-fashioned, doesn't it? Like Dr. Brown's soda. Want to know something else? Sure, I say. In swingers lingo, to quote-unquote apply deodorant means to have sex with someone's armpit because all the other orifices are taken. I'm not going to ask you how you know that, I say. I'll tell you when I come by to install the airport, he says. I like the name apply, though, I say. I'm going to give that some thought. He says good and hangs up. I really like the name apply because it's simple and it instructs. I text Biscuit and she replies, brilliant. I tell Dave about apply at dinner and he says, good thing you got a name because Jonathan Kraft emailed me back and you have a meeting with the Patriots marketing director after Christmas. Wow. Excellent, Dave. That's the nicest thing you've done for me in years. Dolly calls after dinner to say that she and Owen Hamish would like to come over and make a presentation to sell our house. Dave makes a face when I tell him. It's a bad idea to do business with your best friend, Paulette. 
and we aren't ready to sell the house yet. We have to see what the next few months will bring. Oh, just let her come and make a presentation, I say. Fine, Dave says, but please find two other local real estate brokers as well. Maybe someday when I'm making money again, I won't have to succumb to Dave calling all the shots around here. I've been under his thumb and taking his word for things for an awfully long time. Maybe he's not right about a lot of stuff and I never noticed. What's more, maybe that's why my me went missing. I let it go. After dinner, we go in to check on the kids' homework. TJ's writing a paper on heroes. He tells us he admires Odysseus most of all. Oh yeah, Dave asks? Who is this Odysseus? I stare at him in horror. You're kidding, right? You know who Odysseus is. Well, an Irishman, Dave asks. I pat TJ on the shoulder and pull Dave out into the hallway. What's the matter, he says. You got through MIT without knowing who Odysseus is? Well, I know he's not a famous mathematician, and he's certainly not a physicist. Does Homer's Odyssey mean anything to you, Dave? Was Charlton Heston in it, he asks. I sit down on the stairs, too numb to speak. It appears that I am married to the village idiot. Listen, Dave says, people miss lots of stuff in college. Actually, I do know who Odysseus is, and he is Irish. It's that book that no one can read. That's Ulysses, for Christ's sake, Dave. And if you don't know who Odysseus is, then it makes no sense for me to explain Ulysses. But there is a connection, Dave says. Yes, there is a connection, but it's more of a parallel one, and it's by no means, well, that's good enough for me, Dave says. I walk away, shaking my head, and Dave yells after me, You, you think I'm the village idiot now, don't you? No, Dave, I don't. More and more, I think to myself, it seems like the village idiot is me. This girl who told me it's no good to drink alone. This is Eric Fontana. Got no husband, just a two kids on her own. Choices. Choices. She hears her voices. She made a choice. Next time. Holy hell. Till then, ta-ta. I wonder if she takes a drink or two now and then. I wonder if she smokes too much and curse a motherly friend. Choices. Choices. She hears.